Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to continue in our series called Lie to Me, and really this message is kind of a a part two of last week's message, because as I started praying and, and just seeking God, God just kept bringing more things to me about that thing of love and the, the importance of love. Last week we talked about our need for love, that, that we need to love people so much and love God so much that we're about his businesses, about his business and his purpose and the things that are near and dear to his heart. And last week we started out with that verse that says that the enemy is as a roaring lion and that many people allow fear to keep them from stepping out into doing things and that God's love, when it flows through us, that it moves us past the fear that may be in our life to enter in to this battle that we are in for souls. And, and uh, we, we talked about that, that, that his love, when you truly love somebody, you are willing to put yourself in harm's way to be able to protect them. If your children, your wife, was in a dangerous position and something was coming at them, you would gladly step in front of them and take the hit or take the bullet or push them out of the way or whatever it may be to protect them and to keep them safe. And that's what God has called us to do as believers is to lay down our life, to to love the lost enough to get involved, to love the lost so much that we can't just sit in a church and hear messages that that there is something inside of us that has to become hearers of the word not just hearers of the word but doers of the word we talked about in john chapter 13 verse 34 that as jesus is talking to his disciples at the last supper he said listen a new commandment i'm giving to you you need to love one another But he didn't just stop there at love one another. He said, you need to love them just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? He was getting ready to demonstrate how much he loved them by stepping in and taking the punishment for sin upon himself at the cross. He said, this is a way that you are to love one another. And by this... Not your church attendance, not your Jesus fish on the back of your car, not your Christian t-shirt, not if you speak in King James, none of those things. It doesn't say anything. It says, by your love, people will know you are my disciples. And I even challenged you on this. If we don't love people enough to be active in ministry, if we don't love people enough to tell other people about the love, then I wonder if we aren't just converts in Christianity for the benefits that we can get of the retirement package of one day in heaven and not who God has called us to be as far as being disciples. The great commission and everything was not go make converts and have them pray a prayer after you. The great commission was go uh, and make disciples, teach them to obey my commandments. And he talks about healing the sick, preaching the word, casting out demons. Those are all part of the things 
that God calls every one of us as believers to do. But it's our love one for another that is going to show a difference. It's our love one for another that is going to be the fruit and the proof that we are disciples. Now here's the thing that we have and the lie that we kind of believe sometimes is that our love doesn't have to necessarily be like Jesus' love, even though he just said it here. But we can be selective with our love. We can love people who love us back. We can love people who aren't people that we label as those people. We can love people who can do something back for us. Or we act like, well, that's great, you know, Pastors, I believe, should be loving people, but I'm not a pastor, and so I'm going to love my family and everything like that. And we believe that love is optional. I'm going to tell you, love is not optional, and love is not selective. And the degree of love that we are commanded, Jesus just said, this is my commandment, right? Right? It doesn't say, this is my suggestion, It doesn't say, this is my opinion, this is my advice, I would recommend that you would do this. He said, this is a new commandment. A commandment means you've got to do it. My commandment is that you love other people the same way that I love them. And then Jesus even told who he loved. For God so loved who? The world. Romans 5 says that while we were still helpless in our sin, that God demonstrated his love to those who were helpless and stuck in sin. Why does he say this? Because 1 John 4, 8 says this. It says, if anyone does not love God, or anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So when we demonstrate love to the lost, we're showing them God. When you love your enemy, you're showing them God. When you love people who persecute you, it's getting awful quiet in here. You're showing them God. So if when we love people, we're showing them God, when we reject people, who are we showing them? (laughs) When we turn people away, when we judge people and condemn people, who are we showing them? I mean, Jesus even said in John 3, 16, that, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the very next verse says that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If Jesus didn't condemn people and judge people, then why do we think that we have the right to do it? Love is not judgmental. 
We do not get to define the terms and stuff. And, and we have watered down the term love so greatly. Like We're like, I love this ice cream. Really, would you lay down your life for that ice cream? I love this pizza. This is the best pizza in the world. Really. Little kids and teenagers. I love Johnny. I love Susie. And then they scratch it out on their notebook and write somebody else's name below it the next week. And then they scratch it out and they write somebody else's name the next week. And as adults, we laugh at it. And we're like, oh, that's so cute. Little Johnny loves Susie. Oh, no, it's not Susie this week anymore. It's Beth. Oh, it's not Beth anymore. It, it's Susie again. And, and all this stuff. And we're just like, oh, it's so funny. We're like, instead of teaching them, look, I know you, that little feeling that you think you have, that, that's not love. And begin to teach what true love is. Can I tell you something? In the world today, the world would want to equate love as tolerance. <laughs> you just got to be more tolerant of people. You've got to be more tolerant of people that are different than you and think differently than you and all that. But when I think of the word tolerate, like, I don't think of something that is greatly positive. If I say I tolerate something, that means I put up with it even though I'm not fond of it. I would tolerate with a, a, a day at the gym. I don't like it. The next day, I absolutely hate it. But I tolerate it because... I don't want to be 600 pounds. I want to be able to get around with my kids and all of those things. So I tolerate those things. Toleration is such, it's, it's, no, it's not even in the ballpark of love. But the world today thinks that tolerance is love. But true love doesn't allow Somebody to do something that is going to cause damage to themselves or hurt them or end in destruction. True love speaks up. If my kids are about to do something that I know is going to cause them pain in the long run, they may not like what I have to say in that moment when I tell them no or when I tell them that what they are doing is wrong. But later they will understand because there's something that I know as a parent that they don't see coming yet. And people in the world think that their sin, that they can just live their life and whatever happens, happens and it's all good. And they don't understand what the Word of God says, that wide is the way that leads to destruction. That there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is destruction. That that is a path that the enemy is going to make it look like the right path. It's going to look like the easiest path, the best path, all those things. But the end is destruction and as believers we understand what's at the ending because God told us in the word of God what's at the ending he told us lifestyles and sins and things that would not enter into heaven and then he commanded us to love people enough to tell them about it love 
Love accepts the individuals, just not the behavior. Because we separate the two, because we understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness in, in hot places. We understand those things. And so we understand that a sin or preference of lifestyle or whatever does not equal who that person is. Listen, every single one of us, no matter how great your mama thinks you are, you were born a heathen. You are selfish. You were rude. Like, you were born into sin. And tolerance says that you were born into sin, so you have to stay in sin. Love says all of us were born into sin. But Jesus demonstrated his love to where we don't have to stay in sin. But we can get out of the sin. But there's still a thing inside the church world today that if we're not careful, we begin to even judge people who... It's not, not those big sins. But just people who believe differently than us or people who, you know may say something that you can just tell was not an accurate statement or something they should have said and, and everything. And so we even try to define who is worthy of God's love. Like we get frustrated and cast people off and we're done with those people. Like I've tried, I've talked to them multiple times and nothing's changed. And we give up on people way too early. But see, here's the amazing thing is the Bible actually defines what love is for us. When Paul is talking about the ministry, in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how we're all members of the body of Christ and, and we have these giftings and we have these things in order to do ministry. And, and then he says, you know, I'm going to show you a more excellent way of, of doing ministry. You've got to do these things with love. If, if, I, if I give my body to be burned, if I speak in tongues more than all of those things and all that, and, but I have not love, I'm just a clanging symbol and, and all that. But then he goes in and he doesn't allow us to define love for ourselves he gives what God's definition for love is in first Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 it says love is patient some of us are I can get off the call right now because I can tell you this like and as I'm reading through this I want you to, anywhere I say love I want you to put your name in it and do a little test and see if so half of us right now we already need to come to the altar and repent for our lack of patience. Especially people who are drivers. Like, we are not patient. We wanted it done yesterday. What are you doing? I know I didn't tell you till today, but you should have read my mind of what needed to be done yesterday and already had it done so that when I said, you got to get this done today, it's already done. Anybody else feel my pain there? Yeah. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. How many times have we allowed jealousy to divide churches? Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. 
You know, right there, some of you automatically say, well, look, I'm just not a patient person. Like, I'm, I'm a type A. I'm a driver. I like to get things done. All those people who like to think about things and talk about things and all that stuff. I'm not a talker. I'm a doer. And when that person pulls out in front of me and it's on the interstate and it is a 70 mile per hour speed zone I know I'm going 75 or 80 but when they pulled over into the fast lane going 45 miles an hour they deserve that horn being slammed and maybe letting them know you're number one Some of y'all are hitting your spouse right now. <laughs> He's talking to you. Some of you are like, listen, I don't have time to waste with people who just don't get it. How many times do you have to explain it to somebody? I mean, I've, I've already met with them three times on the same thing. And they still keep doing the exact same thing. We, we've talked about this. Pastor Brandon has preached on this. And, and, and it's still the same type of behavior. I don't think we should have to coddle people like that. So I'm, I'm just a realist. But if you're a believer, then you have the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. You have one of those fruits is patience. You, there's, there's another one called kindness. There's another one called gentleness. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it like a jerk. <laughs> We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We can't make excuses. Well, I'm just not a patient person. I'm just not a kind person. I'm just not a gentle person. I'm more direct. I'm more straightforward. Listen, if the Spirit of God is inside of you, then you have the ability to be patient. You have the ability to be kind. You have the ability to be gentle with somebody. And spend a little more time with them, even though you think they should have already got it by now. Because if you're a believer, and the Spirit of God is inside of you, that's who He is. It may not be who you are naturally, but aren't we supposed to kill who we are naturally in our flesh and yield to His Spirit? Didn't we talk about that in Romans chapter 8? It goes on in verse 5, and it says... It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It doesn't also, I can add this little thing in there. It doesn't keep an account of goodness that has been done. So it's like, oh, I've already done this four times. Why should I have to keep doing it? We like to pat ourselves on the back about what we have done versus going the second mile. And fulfilling who God has called us to be. It goes on and says it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes in all things. It hopes in all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. 
And for some of you, you're like, I can't love people that way. Yes, you can. Because if you receive the love of God that is inside of you, then you, you've got the fruit of the Spirit of love. Another fruit of the Spirit that we have is self-control. That word in the Greek in, in, for self-control is enkrenteie, which means this. It means self-mastery, self-restraint. So you have the ability to restrain what you say. You don't just have to say everything that comes to your mind. Self-control or continence. I mean, y'all know what continence is. We've got some nursing students and nurses in here. They're like, I know. A continence is the ability to keep things in. Keep your thoughts, keep your opinions, keep those things in and not have to just release it on everybody. Because when you are incontinent, physically, how I many know it always creates a mess? Some of y'all still don't know what incontinence is. <laughs> it's a bodily function of where your body discharges unnecessary things. In other words, you have the ability to restrain what you say. You have restraint. The Spirit of God gives you the ability to not have to go off on everybody that doesn't do what you think. So when you think about this in your marriage, even though you may think your husband's an idiot, you have the restraint to not tell him that. <laughs> Even though you may think that your wife is nagging you, you have the restraint to not look at her and tell her she's a nag. Why am I saying? Guys, this is basic things. Love is supposed to be one, and marriage is supposed to be one of the things that most signifies our relationship with Christ. But the majority of marriages in our country today now end in divorce. And the reason that a lot of them are end in divorce is what we call ir irreconcilable differences. So in other words, we're just too different. It'll never work. I can tell you right now that being different does not mean that it will not work. Because me and my wife could not be more different than each other. I like sports. She doesn't. She likes shopping. I don't. I like to save money. She likes to spend money. She likes to be in front of people. I like to be hiding. She likes to be in a crowd. I like to be by myself. Like, I mean, personality-wise and everything, we are completely different. So why do we stay together? Because we love each other. Because love hopes all, endures all, bears all. There have been a lot of days where we didn't feel like we loved each other. 
But we made a commitment to one another till death do us part. We made a commitment that even though we may not feel it, then when it's true love, love is going to endure everything. Love is going to hope for everything. But here's the thing. Another level of covenant that we have is within the church. That we have covenant with one another. Because we all are a part of the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. And so whatever role we are in the part of the body, not just in this body, but the body as a whole, because our heart church is not the only church in the world who has it all right and doing it together. I don't even know that we have it all right. I'm sure there's things that we're doing wrong. Or I've said wrong. And trust me, you don't have to email me about them. God would deal with me with them. <laughs> Or my wife will, one of the two. But how many church splits have happened because two people don't agree on one thing? How many churches are completely divided? You know, there are over 41,000 different denominations in the world today. There are churches who split over things that are not even like a major issue of like salvation or truth. It's not even a heresy. It's just a difference of an interpretation of a, a methodology or, or something like that. And we've got many churches that write off other churches and speak down about other churches and, and all of these things. And listen, none of those things are what pleases God. God's desire is that His body loves one another. And it has to start with the people that are in this church. Even if you don't like something that somebody else may say or do, our responsibility to demonstrate love to the world is that we love the people that are in our churches. And then our churches love other churches. We don't judge other churches and point finger at other churches and bash other churches. Me and Melody make it work because our love for God, our love for each other, and then the more that we have grown in our marriage, the more that we begin to like the things that the other one likes and become interested in everything. God brings you closer together. But when it comes to our church relationship, sometimes we don't even give that option. The first time we're like, well, I don't like what that pastor said. I'm going over here now. And we have disunity after disunity after disunity. Divide, divide, split, split. Denomination. Church split. All these different things. And the world sits back. And Jesus said, you're supposed to. Love as I have loved, and all the world sees is the same division that they have in the world. And the very thing that is supposed to be a sign that we are disciples of Christ, we're not even demonstrating inside the church. We need to be able to love each other enough that if there's a difference, if there's a conflict, that we go to that person first and talk about it. And then if it's still not able to be settled, then we go to that person with somebody. And then if it's still not be able to settle, 
then we go to that person with an authority in the church. But how many times have people just left without even a conversation? You'll find out later on Facebook when they bash you, which is why I don't have Facebook. But even that thing, didn't we just read that love is not arrogant? How arrogant is it to think that you have the corner market on theology and everything that you believe is absolutely correct? That you have the corner market on methodology of ministry and everything that you do is absolutely correct? That seems a little arrogant to me. And that's why it's so hard to even get people to love the lost is because we don't even love other believers. But we've got to first get to the point where we love other believers and if there's an issue, we're going to work this thing out because we understand that this is going to bring a negative impact on the name of Jesus, that this is going to show people that we're no different than them versus showing people that we're truly disciples of Jesus. And then once we've got that down, then we've got to get back where we need to be because we have to understand the type of love that God wants us to work in. Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 about the last days and, and, and how it's going to be. And at the, the dividing of the, the, the sheep and the lambs. And it says he will put the sheep on his right hand. He'll put the goats on the left hand. The king will say to the ones that are on his right, come in. Blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that, that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he begins to explain even why he brought them in. He said, because when I was hungry, you gave me some food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And then the righteous will look at him and say, Lord, when did we do this? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When, did, when were you a stranger and we welcomed you in? When were you naked and we clothed you? When did, were you sick or in prison and we visit you? And the king will say to them, Truly I say to you, when you have done it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When you loved people enough to serve the people that you disagree with. When you love people enough to serve those people that previously you may have looked down on. That's when we begin to really demonstrate the love that God wants. Listen, he's basically saying one of the signs that you're truly in relationship with me is that you love what I love. But he says this phrase at the end of it. He says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I think this needs to change our mindset. If you saw that homeless person as Jesus, how would it change the way that you served him? If you saw the drug addict as Jesus, how would that change the way that you serve him? If you saw the prostitute as Jesus, how would that change the way that you served him? If you saw the person who you think is in doctrinal heresy as Jesus, would you forgive more? Would you love more? 
Would you be a little more patient with them? See, God's called us to the type of love that we don't just love people when we see a benefit in it. Like, it's easy for me to love people who can benefit and pay me back for something that I do and then call it love. But Jesus even talked about this in Luke chapter 6. He said, if you love those who love you, (laughs) what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those that love them. Remember, we're looking at what makes us different as believers versus sinners. Sinners love people who love them. Sinners love people who look like them, sound like them, act like them, talk like them, believe like them. They don't have problems with that. They're not engaged in Facebook wars with people who are in the same mindset and ideology and everything as them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Because even sinners do the same thing. So if you only do something because you know it benefits you, that what's in it for me mentality has to go. Like if you only give because you get a tax benefit, that's the wrong mentality. If you only serve because people look at you like, oh, look at how great they are. Look at the way that they serve. Then we're doing it with the complete wrong heart. If we only do something nice for somebody who can do something nice back to us, it doesn't show anything different than the world. If you lend to those and ex- that you expect something in return, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend. But instead, I tell you to love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Look at this. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Are you kind to ungrateful people in your life? People that you do stuff for and they don't thank you for it. Are you kind to them? Or do you demand the thank you? Or do you just say, well, I'm never doing anything for them again. I did it and they didn't even thank me. Well, that's demonstrating the same love that the world has. It says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Listen, God's called us to walk in love. But he didn't call us to walk in love without first demonstrating love and without giving us love. When he sent the Spirit of God, he gave us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And in John 3, 16, he said that whosoever would come. And the question I'm asking is, are we serving, are we loving the whosoever's? Or are we being restrictive with our love? And this is why, because Jesus doesn't take this lightly. If you go back, remember in Matthew 25, he's separating, he's got the people who at his right hand that he tells them to enter in. These are the people who gave food, gave water, fed the poor, you know, visited the prisons, all those things. They They were about the Father's work, right? Then he goes on in verse 41. He says, then I'll say to the people that are on my left, you can depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty 
and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will all say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and we didn't minister to you? Truly I say when you didn't do this to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Now go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And wait a minute, Pastor Brandon, are you trying to say that if I don't feed the poor and visit people in prison and all that, then then I'm not going to be saved and I'm not truly saved? The Bible says that we're not saved by our works. But go back and read the very next verse. But you were saved for good works. James said that he talks about faith and he says this thing, he says, faith without works is dead. I am not saying that you are saved by your works and if you show up at every food truck outreach and everything like that, that you're going to earn points with God and you're going to make it into heaven. What I am saying is this, that if you truly know Jesus and you have relationship with him, then his love should rub off on you to where you love other people. And the fruit of your love for him is love for others that is going to move you into action. That if we, we have belittled Christianity to church attendance and reading my Bible occasionally and saying some prayers, but the closer that I get to Jesus, the more that I realize, listen, it's not about what we're doing inside these four walls at this moment right now. It's about what we do out there. If everything that I hear in here, everything that I preach in here does not result in fruit out there, then it's dead faith, dead religion. And that dead faith, dead religion will stand before God and God will say, you didn't get it. I mean, I commanded you to love one another. I told you to go preach the gospel. I told you to go make disciples. Like, You didn't do anything that I told you to do. Yes, you prayed a prayer. Yes, you attended churches. Church. Show me one time where Jesus said, hey, you need to go to church every Sunday. If you go to church every Sunday, you'll enter into the kingdom of God. For great is your reward for perfect attendance on Sundays. Except for vacation and summertime because, you you know, you got to travel and Relax. We've encountered the love of God. And we truly spend time with Him. It makes a difference in us. And it doesn't become work. It, it just becomes second nature. Like I, I don't have to set an alarm and stuff and get up every morning like I gotta read the Bible today no like the first thing I do is grab my phone get my airpods in I start listening to worship music start it's just I gotta spend time with Jesus not because I'm supposed to do it but because I love him and then when I spend time with Jesus 
he starts showing me how much, like, if you love me, love who I love. If you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. Didn't he say that? If you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. So what were your commandments? Go into the world, preach the gospel. Cast out demons, heal the sick. Love one another. Demonstrate the love of God for one another the same way. Serve other people. Fight for unity. I mean, that's his one unanswered prayer. And you see where his disciples, they got it. John is known as the disciple that God loved, right? Or that Jesus loved. Look at what he said in 1 John. We read the first one, verse 8. Go ahead and pull it up. Anyone who does not love, they don't know God. Because God is love. Then he goes on in that same chapter, verse 16. He says, so we, we have come to know and to believe the love of God, has, the love of God that he has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. How? By abiding in love for God and God's love abiding in us. Being in his presence, being in his word. That's how, that's how we encounter him. He says, so we have this confidence on the day of judgment that he is so also, and we are in this world, for there is no fear that is in love because his perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever, fear, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, it is not God's desire that you fear that one day when you get to heaven that you're going to be cast into hell. It is God's desire that you are in such a relationship with him that, where you know. You know him, you know his love, you experience his love. And if you don't have that relationship right now, it's available. It just, he says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. But here's the thing, as you get near him, he's going to start showing you things in your life that are holding you back from him. And do we love him more than we love money do we love him more than we love convenience do we love him more than we love our grudges do we love him more than we love our sin and then he says we love him because he first loved us if anyone says i love god but he hates his brother he's a liar that's a scary statement for some people because there are a lot of people who have a deep-rooted hate for an ex-spouse a deep-rooted hate for people of another race a deep-rooted hate for people who remind them of somebody who has abused them or hurt them or for he who does not love his brother who he can uh, whom he has whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen this is my commandment that this is the commandment that we have from him whoever loves God must love his brother must love commandment guys are you seeing how important the love of God is are you seeing this is to the point of love moves into action listen 
We've got parents in here. How many of you parents, you feed your kids every day? Good job, hopefully. You give them water if they're thirsty? You, you give people water? Your kids water? Thirsty. You clothe them if they don't have clothes on? You visit them and go spend time with them? It's all he's asking us to do for the lost. Just love my children. Even the ones who haven't encountered my love yet. Just love them. We're the worship team come up. And I think right now is just a moment to do a little self-evaluation. I want you just to bow your heads for just a second. I just want you to ask God, God, what are you speaking to me? Come on, all the campuses, just bow your heads for just a second. God, what are you speaking to me? For some of you, it's you're not demonstrating the love by being patient. For some of you, you give up on people too much. You've been hurt before, and so you just give up on people. For some of us, we have to come to the realization, if I'm completely honest, I love me, my hobbies, and my time on me more than I. Love God and those people that he's, his mission, his plan. Those people he's called me to reach. When we evaluate our love, is our love patient? Is our love kind? Is our love arrogant? Does our love keep records of wrong? Or is it forgiving? Is our love conditional? Or is it unconditional? Is our love enduring? Or does it give up the first time that we disagree or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time or the sixth time that we disagree? Is it a hopeful love? Does it endure all? Does it bear all? Jesus loved us so much that he bore all of our sins at the cross. And then he called people who would receive that love to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. Have we done that? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.